my name is Caroline. On behalf of our whole church family, we want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. Before we begin worship today, we want to inform you of all the exciting things happening on the Hill. If you're new or a first-time guest, please stop by our I'm New wall located in the lobby. We want to meet you and give you a gift for attending. Ready Fest is only a few weeks away. It will be Saturday, July 22nd from 10 to 2. We still need volunteers and donations of kids' clothes, new and gently used. You can drop those off in the lobby and see one of our staff members to volunteer. If you have kids looking for some soccer fun, our league will be starting before you know it. Get your kids signed up today. Mark your calendars for Rock the Hill on August 5th. This year, we move our annual outdoor picnic and service, previously held at the park, to our green space right here on campus. The fun starts at 4 p.m. with kid-friendly games, a meal at 5.30, followed by our worship service at 7. If you're interested in missions, here's your opportunity to go to Guatemala this fall break. This is an opportunity for all ages. Message Matt, our early childhood pastor, at mkrebs at shelbychristian.org. Our next Pathways event is happening August 15th at 6 p.m. This is our on-ramp for those pursuing involvement in these three areas. Step one starts with salvation and membership. Step two is disciple making, and step three is involvement and stewardship. We encourage everyone to attend and finish these three separate workshops. We make it easy to attend by providing a meal and childcare. We continue to see lives being changed each week. Help me celebrate all the baptisms we've seen. How you doing out there? Good to see you here on the Sunday morning. You stand to your feet. Is there anybody out there that can say, I owe it all to Jesus? He's delivered me. I have a reason to celebrate him. I have a reason to sing. I have a testimony this morning. Come on, let's sing to him. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Still the miracle Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven Yeah, my praise belongs to you forever this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story i'll testify by jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Together, sons and daughters, washed with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Yes, our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life. Grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Come on, church, put your hands together. Sing this with me. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I 
make some noise and just declare that one more time. You won't fail me, Lord. I know you won't. I believe that you're there. You're faithful. You're true. And you never let us go, Lord. Amen. You may be seated real quick. Wow, what a week we've had. Um, God's good. He's still on the throne. And these songs that we're just singing about, they just, they hit home so much to me because, uh, and I know you feel the same way when we start singing that I've put my life, I've banked my life on you, Jesus. I've seen too many things. There's so many songs that we've sung, you know, week after week. It just declares that we see the fullness and the faithfulness of God And as we continue to prayer in Matthew 7, as we continue to pray, Jesus was talking about prayer, effective prayer, not just prayer that we just try to, you know, come up with the greatest words to make this great prayer. But God just simply says this, Jesus simply says this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks find, finds and everyone who knocks the door will be open to you. And I'm reminded of the little story when there was a judge and there was a lady that she was wanting justice and she kept going to the judge and saying, why won't you give me justice in this matter? Give me justice. And he kept sending her away until finally the word persistence rings in in my mind. She was persistent enough that finally the judge said, go, you will have your way. You will have it today. And I think God wants us to be persistent in what we pray for. Amen. He doesn't want us to just pray a prayer and just like, well, if it happens, it happens. God's answers will always come. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And the one that I struggle with the most is sometimes maybe not right now. But his timing, I believe, is perfect timing. And so I'm thankful that we can come to a Heavenly Father today in that prayer. And that if we we keep asking and we keep seeking and we keep knocking, he's faithful. And we have a time that we can celebrate the death of Jesus, but also celebrate more that he lives and that the power is in us today. So as we are able to take communion together, I want you to take time and pray with that little piece of bread and a little cup of juice and ask him, Lord, what can I do for your kingdom? because you gave so much to me. Will you close your eyes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the all, the awesome gift of eternal life. And Jesus, I pray right now, everyone in this place, Lord, you know every need in this house. You know before we ask it. And God, as we partake together, Lord, and what you've given to us, Lord, may we find, Lord, the answers We thank you for your deliverance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity
Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way to communicate an important kingdom principle form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Well, good morning. Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. His stories, a lot of times they were, they were very disruptive. Some would even say they were scandalous. He, he told stories that, that would take the, the notion of what people thought life was about and what things were supposed to be about, and he would turn those things on their ear. He, he would turn things upside down. Jesus would tell stories that would really cause the hearer, the audience, to react. There would be a response when Jesus told a story. And so the New Testament is littered full of stories that Jesus told. And in this series, we're in week three of Scandalous Stories, and we're just looking at some of the parables that Jesus told when he would preach and when he would teach. They're recorded for us in the, in the Gospels. Uh, they're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we, we look at these. We, uh, sometimes we dissect them. Sometimes we kind of break them down word by word. But what we're doing in this series is we're kind of looking at the, the big picture. God, what are you trying, what are you, what are you teaching us? What are you showing us? Because these parables are a glimpse. Sometimes they're a glimpse, they're a sliver, they're just, they're just this window into what God's kingdom is like. They're, they're the opportunity for us as hearers to understand a little bit more about God's kingdom. Parables upend our notion of a God who plays by our rules. Parables deconstruct our ideas about a God who favors certain people over others. They challenge the idea of how things are supposed to work in this world. They tend to turn this world upside down, or maybe it is turning this world right side up. Maybe that's what parables are for. I I, I love this quote by uh, Chad Bird. He said this, He said, the only hero of the parables is a messianic madman who gives away the gold of forgiveness like it's candy. I love that. Any of you today just need a little forgiveness (laughs) handed your way? Who, Who hides oceans of grace in a drop of faith? Anybody need just a little bit of of grace today? And who continually crowns the last, the least, the little, and the lifeless. The king of this kingdom is a servant who comes to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus told stories. He he told parables. This passage is kind of the cornerstone, Matthew chapter 13. This is the the cornerstone passage for this whole series. And, And this is what it says, Matthew 13, 34 through 35. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. And he did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. And this is Psalm 20, or 78 2 says, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things that were hidden since the creation of the world. And so what, 
we understand when we read this passage is that there are things in God's word, there are things in the Bible that, that, are, are, that can be mysterious, that, that can for a time be hidden from us. And we don't understand them. I asked in week one if any of if you had read something in the Bible and you just didn't understand it. Like you just didn't get it how all the dots connected with this and that. Like, and, and that happens, right? It happens all the time. And so there's these mysterious things. There's these things that are hidden. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to give you a glimpse. I'm going to give you just a, a, a piece of, of what it looks like in God's kingdom. What his kingdom is like. What his love is like. What his heart beats for. His nature. What he values and what he cares for. And so there's this hidden story. There's this hidden story that was always the story hidden beneath the surface of all the other biblical stories, right? We know about creation and the fall. You read about the wandering of Abraham in the Old Testament, the exodus of Israel, all the way through the judges and the kings and the prophets. There are many stories. There are all these stories, but there's just one story. The story above all other stories is of a God who desperately, who desperately is pursuing a relationship with his people, with his children. A, a God who is passionately running after his kids for a relationship. For a relationship with us, with you and with me. That's the story of a God who will not turn his back on us. The story of a God in pursuit of lost sheep, throwing parties for runaways, and eating dinner with outcasts. It's the story of a God who pulls open his chest and shows us the beating heart of a Lord, of a King, of a Savior, who says, this is how much I love you. That is the ultimate story of the Bible. Of a God who would love us so much, right? That he would send Jesus. And so Jesus tells these stories in the New Testament. He tells these stories, and some of them were scandalous. Some of them, some of them were hard to understand. Some of them, like I've said in previous weeks, people would listen to, and then they, they wouldn't understand, or they were too hard of teaching. Uh, it was too confusing. It, it was just too much to take in. They would walk away. But sometimes when Jesus would tell a story, other people would lean in. They, they, would, they would get closer. They, they would want to get closer to this storytelling Messiah. And you're going to see one of those stories today. It's in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Jesus tells some stories about things that were lost and are now found. And you're going to see this morning a, a, a glimpse, just a little window into a father's love and how far he will go for his children. Now look at this. It's in verse 1. It says this. Um, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Right? How scandalous. There seems to be two groups of people. Jesus is, is here. He's, he's standing in front of an audience of people that they've come to, to hear him. And there's a certain group that is, is, is close. They want to get as close. It's like they want to get a front row seat. They don't want to miss a word. They don't want to miss a syllable. They, they, don't, they want to be as close to Jesus as they can possibly be. It's the tax collectors. It's the bad folks. It's the despised. It's the sinners. It's, it's people who, um, well, it's, it's sick people. It's outcasts. It's, it's weirdos and drunks and prostitutes and thieves and murderers and adulterers and all the deplorable people. These are the people that, that, that seem to to want to be as close as they possibly can. You, you ever um, gone to like your favorite uh, a concert or, or maybe a, an athletic event and, and like it's, it's something you've been waiting for for a long time and, and, and you've paid a lot of money for tickets and like if you, if you want to get as close, like if you could get a front row seat, right? Like apparently right now, 
Like, if you go to, you have to mortgage, like, you have to, they got a second mortgage on your house to go see Taylor Swift, apparently, right? Because people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars. But if you're a Swifty, I'm, I'm not a Swifty, I'm not the demographics for Taylor Swift, I get it. But if you're apparently a, a young girl or a young lady, and you could get a front row seat to a Taylor Swift con- concert, apparently you would give your right arm for that, right? And so there's this idea, if I could just get close enough, if I could just be as close as I could possibly be, and that's what this group of people, these deplorables, these, the, the, the outcasts, the ones that have always felt like they were on the edge of society, Jesus comes and he says, gather around. Get in here and get close. There's something I want to tell you. I want to tell you a story. But then there's another group. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, I would call them the religious folk, the religious elite, right? And they're standing kind of on the edge of everything. They're kind of watching from a distance. And I picture them with their arms crossed and kind of just covering their, their mouth with their hand. And then, you know, have you ever just, have you ever seen somebody over in the corner and they're like, they're talking and it's like, they're gossiping, right? They're talking about someone. Something's going down over there. You're probably like, are they talking about me? Right? You kind of think that. But like, have you ever noticed that? Like you see people, if you see people huddled up talking and they're whispering, and that's what these, these people are doing. These religious leaders, how dare this man welcome sinners and eat with them? And so there's this, there's this scene that's taking place here. This man who has come and he's welcomed all. And the implication here, when, when they make a statement like this, is that this man doesn't take sin serious enough. He's endorsing their lifestyle. How can he possibly claim to be the son of God, to be God himself in, in the flesh, the holy one, and yet be around such unclean people? How can he allow them to be so close to him? That's, that's the implication. That, that's what they're saying. And so it's in answer to this objection, because here again, Jesus knows exactly what these guys are thinking, right? He, they don't have to say it out loud. He, know, he, hear, he knows the whispers. He knows what's in their mind, in their heart. And so he answers their objection with some stories, with a couple of stories. And that's what we want to look at these morning. These stories are of lost and found. And so here's the first one. Jesus told them this parable. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says this. He he says, I tell you, and so... In the, in the same way, this is, this is what God's kingdom is like. This, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. And so what, what Jesus does here in this simple little story, that if you've been in church for, for a very long time, you've heard this parable, you've heard this story, right? You've, you've seen this story play out in, 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 in coloring books in, in little kids' church, right? Like we, like we talk about that this story has been, been preached for for. 2,000 years, thousands and thousands and millions of times. And so in the middle of the story, though, there's this glimpse, right? There's this understanding, there's this rejoicing that goes on. Every time, every time those waters are stirred, there's this great rejoicing in heaven, Jesus says. Every time a sinner comes home, every time a lost person comes home, every time someone recognizes that they are lost and helpless and hopeless without Jesus, and they give it up, And they say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you with the rest of my life. Great rejoicing over the repentance of one person, right? And so Jesus gives them this glimpse. He wants them to understand who he is and what he's about. And so he asks them this very pointed question that appeals to their their logic. In the first part of this story, he says, if a sheep's lost, you go after it, right? You wouldn't just cut your losses and move on. You would pursue that which was lost, this, this sheep belongs in the fold. It's, it's, it's there where the shepherd wants it to be. And when it gets lost, the shepherd goes after it. There's this pursuit. But then he says this. He says, 
The 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, what's Jesus? That's interesting. I found that very interesting. What's he saying there? Is there a little sarcasm in Jesus's story here? Because he's saying, hey, you guys over here that think you've got it all figured out, that think you're righteous, that think like whatever, like you're, you're good, right? Or at least you think you are. He, he could be saying that. He could also be saying, look, you guys, you are the, the 99, like you, you're you're with the shepherd. You're with the fold. You're in the family. You, you have security in your numbers, right? And so there's this, this thing, like when, when, when people would hear Jesus tell this story, they would know shepherds and shepherding, and it would be, it's very first century, like they would, they would, they have seen, you know, sheep herders, and they've seen, seen it all. Some of them may have had some experience working in the field with sheep, and so this was a very practical thing to them, Right? And they think about the, 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 the 99, and then they think about the one that's lost. And when you, when you think about, here's the thing that I've always kind of struggled with when I think about this story, is just to be completely, totally honest with you, I've always felt like a part of the 99, for the most part. I've always felt like, like from, from, the, from a very young age, like I've been around God's people. I, my parents raised me in the church. I had an incredible church to grow up in. I had an incredible youth group to grow up in. I had an awesome youth minister to teach me and great parents who taught me. And so I've always kind of felt like part of the 99. And so it's hard for me sometimes to, to feel like, to put myself in the place of the one that's out there lost, wandering, hopeless and helpless. But if you've been the one right? If you've been the one, and a lot of you have, and a lot of you know people who are the one right now, they're wandering, they're hopeless, and it's helpless. And if they are not found by the shepherd, a lion or a wolf or a bear is going to come along before long, right? And so Jesus paints this picture. He tells this story, and so here's what's interesting. The promise of the gospel is for those who are near and also for those who are far away. And ironically, when he's telling the story, it's, it's kind of flipped here. Because as he's telling the story, those who are physically near to him are the ones that used to feel like they were outcast. And the ones that are standing back in the corner on the edge, they're the ones that have been used to being like in they're the religious elite. They're the ones that other people look to. They're, they're the rabbis, right? They're the leaders in the, in the temple, in the synagogue. So like, and when Jesus comes along and he says, all, all of you come. It doesn't matter. I don't, Pharisees, you're welcome too. See, that's the thing. They were welcome. They just didn't want to be a part of what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus tells this story. And the reaction of the shepherd in the story is, is kind of fascinating. You think about just a normal reaction. A normal shepherd probably would have been a little bit annoyed, right? He, he would have probably been like, it's probably the same sheep, right? You got this one, and it always wanders off, right? We got to go looking for it again. So you go out and you look for it. So there would kind of be this annoyance. It's like, extra work today. I got, you know, extra steps today. I got to go find this sheep. But, but that's not what Jesus does. He, 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 he paints this picture of a shepherd who rejoices. He puts it on his shoulders. He's not put out. He doesn't take the anger out on the stray. He responds in, in, a, in, a, in a way that's kind of out of proportion to the occasion. Some of the actual people in the audience who would have had, um, like I said, you know, been around sheep before, they thought, come on, dude, it's just a dumb sheep. Like, this happens all the time. You're going way overboard when you're talking about rejoicing and putting it on your, your shoulders and, and making a big to-do. Come on, Jesus. Throwing a party to celebrate finding a lost sheep, that seems a little extravagant. But here's the thing. There's something deeper at work here. There, there's something deeper at work in Jesus' story because there always is. Look at this next quote. This is from Luke chapter 19. Here's what Jesus said. He said, for I have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you here? What's all this about? What's church about? What's, what's Christianity about? What's all this about? It's simple. To seek 
and save the lost. And so Jesus told him this story. I, I guess he thought he needed to tell him another one because he does. In, in verse 8 he says this. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Now here's what you need to understand about this. One of the coins, it's not like she's lost a quarter, okay? She's lost a day's wage. So think about it. Uh, let's just kind of play with some round numbers here. Let's say someone makes $1,000 a week. So 200, five days, you know, five day work week. So $200 a day, right? If, if you get out of your car at home in the garage and you have $200 in your pocket, and then you go in the house and 30 minutes later, you've done some other things, maybe you've changed clothes or whatever, you go back and you look in that pocket and that money's not there. What are you doing? It's not like you lost a dollar or even five bucks, but if it's 200 bucks, right? You're like, hold on everybody. <laughs> we got to find that, you know, $200 is $200, right? And so like, it's like, where did that money go? You're tracing your steps. You're turning over the couch. You're sweeping the, you know, the, the kitchen floor. You're like, where did I go? What was I doing? Where is that money? Right? And so that, this is what's happening here. This is the value of, of what Jesus is doing in this story. He says, this woman who's lost some money, something very valuable. He says, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me for I found my lost coin. Again, Jesus is right. He's, 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 it's like overboard. Like if you found the $200, you wouldn't go out in, in the, on the street in your neighborhood and go, hey, everybody, look, I found my $200. You'd be thankful, but you probably wouldn't go as far as this. But, but, but there, here's what she does. Rejoice. I have found, Jesus is teaching something a lot, a lot deeper, right? I have found my lost coin in the same way, he says. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so there's this idea, again, of a, of a search. What, what was implied in the, the story of the shepherd is spelled out here in the tale of the coin, right? Because in this, this search, you, you see it, you feel it, you can picture this lady Right, going through her house, sweeping up the house, turning over every piece of furniture, desperately looking for this, this valuable coin that means a lot to her. A day's wage. It would mean a lot. And so she's diligently seeking. The search is on. Every inch is swept, frantically looking for her money. So like the shepherd, she doesn't stop until she finds the object of her search. And so Jesus is obviously teaching us a kingdom principle here. Look at this kingdom principle that he teaches. He says, this is, this is we, we know this. Our God is the God of the universe and he is the God of every square inch of creation. Now, when you, when you think about this, it's, th this is hard to fathom because there are about 8 billion people on the face of the earth today. When you think about every person who's ever existed in the history of mankind, right? Billions and billions and billions of people. I'm sure somebody's tried to calculate at some point. I'm sure you could Google it and there you could probably come up with a number uh, here in the next couple minutes. Like how many people have actually ever existed on planet Earth, right? Whatever that number is, a lot of people. And you have this God that created it all. And so like, we're like, all right, I can go with you there. I can understand. I can get that. That kind of makes sense to me. Had to come from somewhere. Right. And so, all right, God did all this, but then, but then the same God who, who is big and, and unfathomable mostly to us comes along and he says this, you are so valuable. You individually your little life. The, 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 the Bible says life is like a mist, right? It's here and then it's gone. As, as I get older, that's, that's so much like, yes, man. Where did, those, where did those days and years go, right? It's like a mist. 
that's here and then it's gone. And so we can sometimes sit and think of how insignificant one life is. And then God comes along and he tells a story and he says, I want you to understand that you are so significant that I would leave everything else, that I would turn it all upside down because I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you feel lost? Have you ever felt lost? Do you know someone who feels lost today? They need to know that there's a God who is passionately pursuing them who is running after them and wants to have a relationship with them like no other, has pulled his chest open and is showing them the beating heart of a God who says, I love you this much. I'm going to send my son to the cross instead of you. I love you that much. And so Jesus says that all of heaven rejoices when the bad people, when the sinners repent. But there's still the religious folk standing over in the corner. I can't believe. I can't believe he hangs out with them. I can't believe he would go to that guy's house to eat dinner. I can't believe he would actually allow her to even touch him. What is he thinking? And the sad, the sadness, a lot of times when you read these stories, isn't for the folks who are, who are, who are there in the front row, who are, who are starting to get it. It's for those that, that just can't see it. They're blinded by their religio- religiosity. I don't even think that's a word. I just made it up, right? But they're, they're blinded by this religious act, right? This facade. And what Jesus is doing is he wants to look at those guys as well and go, look guys, I didn't just come for these folks. I came for you too. But you, you seem to be rejecting me. And, and, and so there's this idea of the things that were lost are now found. And they're found by a scandalous guy named Jesus. So Jesus tells these stories. He tells stories of things that were lost and are now found. He tells stories about people who were lost and now found. I want to read you one more story and then we'll be done. Desmond Doss was born in Lynchburg, Virginia on February the 17th, uh, February 7th, 1919. Doss served as an army medic in World War II. Due to to his closely held religious beliefs, Doss refused to carry a gun or kill another person. He enlisted in the army as a medic because he believed in the cause, but he vowed not to kill. He was ridiculed and harassed and abused by other soldiers. Doss was viewed as a slacker and a weak link in the chain. His commanding officer tried to get him transferred on several occasions. Doss found himself in Okinawa, Japan in the spring of 1945. Doss's company faced a grueling task, climbing a steep, jagged cliff called Hacksaw Ridge. On the other side of the cliff were thousands of heavily armed Japanese soldiers waiting for them. A a retreat was ordered during the battle, but Doss refused to leave the wounded on the battlefield. He went back into the firefight to save just one more. And when he went back repeatedly, over and over and over again, Doss knew that he could not win the war by himself, but he could at least try to save one life at a time, including the very men who hated and disdained him because of his faith and values. Under a barrage of gunfire and explosion, Doss crawled on the ground from wounded soldier to wounded soldier. He dragged severely injured men to the edge of the ridge. He tied a rope around their bodies and he lowered them down to other medics below. Doss saved man after man, including Captain Jack Glover, over a 12-hour period. The same soldiers who had shamed him now praised him. He was the bravest, uh, the bra- bravest person alive, Glover said in a documentary. And to have him end up saving my life was the irony of the whole thing. I, I'm, 
bet it was. Desmond Doss is uh, credited with saving 75 soldiers during one of the bloodiest battles of World War II in the Pacific. He did it without ever carrying a weapon. The Battle of Hacksaw Ridge on the island of Okinawa was a close combat fight with heavy weaponry. Thousands of Americans and Japanese soldiers were killed. And the fact that Doss survived the battle and saved so many lives has confounded and awed those who know his story. Veteran Carl Bentley, who was also at Hacksaw Ridge, said this in the documentary. It's as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give. For Doss's heroics on the battlefield, battlefield, President Harry S. Truman awarded Corporal Doss the Medal of Honor, America's highest award for courage under fire and risking his life to save the lives of his fellow soldiers. Doss became the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor without firing a single shot. Doss's story was made into a movie by Mel Gibson in 2016 called Hacksaw Ridge. And in the documentary about his life, Doss was quoted as saying, I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying. Lord, please help me get just one more. Just one more. How how big y'all want that church to be? How big of a church is it going to be? Just one more. How many people you guys want to see baptized this year? Just one more. Just one more. And so for us, what we have to understand is that we're a part of the 99. We're, we're here. We're in. It, it, it's good for us. But when you walk back out those doors, there's a battle going on. A spiritual battle for every single soul in this community. And you have friends and you have neighbors and you have kids and grandkids and siblings and parents and grandparents and co-workers and teammates. You have people that lay on the battlefield bleeding. They are bleeding out. And if someone doesn't come and pull them to the edge and lower them to safety, they will die without knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so why does a church exist? Why does Jesus tell these stories? It's to give us this picture of a God who says, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. And now I'm going to go back to be with the Father. And here's what your job is, church. To seek the lost. If you have to, pull them, drag them, get them to me. Just one more. Just one more. So who's your one? Who who is the one in your life that you know this week you are going to talk to, you're going to have conversations with, you're going to work with, you're going to you live next door to, whatever the case may be. Who's your one? Who is the person <laughs> that if it's all over with on Tuesday night as they drive home and life ends for them, will they meet Jesus? And so there's this urgency, right? There's this urgency on the battlefield. I, I just, if you've seen the movie, Desmond Doss, time after time, crawling, right, on his hands, on his stomach, dragging men to the edge, dragging men to the edge. And when it's all over with, and he's down, and he's injured, and they're pulling him off the battlefield, I wish I could go back and say one more. Just one more. 
just one more. And if you're that one more, if your child is that one more, if your mom or dad is that one more, aren't you thankful that there are people that are looking for the lost? They're seeking the lost to bring them to Jesus. They've got a front row seat. Most weeks these front rows are empty. Bring them. Show them. And more importantly than bringing them, you live a life. You point them to Jesus with the way you live and the way you love. Right? And so we follow a Jesus. We follow a God who tells incredible stories, who tells scandalous stories about things and about people who were lost and are now found. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to just pause, to be reminded of how big your love is and what you what you are doing every single day. You are passionately pursuing us, a relationship with us. Because you've come, you sent your son, and now you send the church for the lost. I'm thankful for, for, uh, for those that are here. I'm thankful for what you're doing in this church. I'm thankful for the 60 or so folks this year that have already went in the baptistry and given themselves to you and are walking with you today. But God, we know that there's another 60. There's another 600. There's another 6,000. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our community. We don't have to go very far. We just got to go through these doors. And they're there. And we know because your word tells us that this is a battlefield. And that we don't wage a war against flesh, but against things that we can't see. And Satan would love nothing more than to convince us all that it's okay. It's not a big deal. There's no urgency, no rush. It's fine. Everybody's fine. Everything's fine. While bullets whiz by. Time after time after time. And so God, help us to see the urgency. Help us to understand what it looks like to follow a Jesus who says, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Will you come with me? Will you help me? Will you be a part of the rescue team? And let's just go after one more. And then we'll go after one more. And then we'll go after one more. God, help us to be that kind of a people. Help us to be that kind of a church. God, if, there's, if there is a person, a soul here today that's ready to surrender, that's ready to say, I can't fight this battle on my own. I'm losing. I lose every day because I'm trying of my own will. And God, they just want to lay all that down and follow you. God, I pray that today would be that day for them. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for pursuing us. Thanks for running after us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand up? We're going to sing this last song. If you want to pray with someone, if you have a decision uh, on your heart, there will be some folks over at our decision area over here to my left. We'd love to connect with you this morning. Let's, uh, let's sing.
it all go I see it now I'm laying it down And I know that I need you I run to the Father prayer will be that that this week that you'll just maybe stop long enough to realize that maybe you've just been running this rat race, right? You're just running, running, running. And you just stop and turn around and realize that there's been a, there's been a God that's been pursuing you every step of the way. And sometimes we just need to stop and, and turn around and fall into the arms of the Father, Right? And so maybe maybe that's what you need to do this week. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for being here. Hope you guys have an incredible week. Let's get out of here. Let's go love God and love people and watch them change this world. Thank you guys.